Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Bible reading now. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. I'm reading from the NIV. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, son, firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. What a great story that people have been telling for over 2,000 years. Lord, we thank you uh, that we can tell this story again. Not because it's just something that happened all those years ago, but something that still affects us today and impacts us. So Lord, I pray that you'd open up our, our hearts and our minds to what you have to say to us through your word this morning so that we can be doers of the word and not just hearers of it. I pray this in Jesus' Jesus' precious name. One of my favourite comedies, uh, movie comedies, is The Internship starring... um, Oops, here we go again. Starring Vince Vaughan and, um, and Owen Wilson. And they play two out-of-work watch salesmen. 
Billy McMahon and Nick Campbell. So they weren't just unemployed though, they also didn't have any real qualifications to go out and get another job. So in desperation, um, Vince Vaughan's character, Billy, he applies on their behalf, without Owen Wilson knowing, to become interns at Google, the, you know, the giant internet platform. And uh, amazingly, they're accepted, both of them, for this internship. But when they arrive at Google headquarters right there in pretty trendy California, they realise that uh, everyone else is 20 years younger than them. And not only that, all of them have uh, degrees in computer science or some other sort of like, like, uh, like qualification. But despite this, Nick and uh, Billy are put into a team with other interns and they're forced to work on a whole range of tasks with these other people. But they've got no theoretical knowledge or, even, or any sort of technical skills that are going to sort of enable, and enable them to sort of really contribute that much. And so their team actually feel, feel like they've been saddled with two losers, which really they have been. Uh, but uh, what it becomes apparent throughout the movie is that um, winning a permanent position at Google is not just about having the right skills and qualifications, there's actually this other aspect uh, that's essential, and they call it Googliness. As the movie goes on, a guy keeps appearing, and, uh, and he just seems to be hanging around, watching, observing. He's nothing to look at. He's not smartly dressed, he's a bit overweight, he always sort of wears headphones, uh, which puts people off from actually approaching him and talking to him. Uh, that is, except for Billy, who's sort of a bit of an out there sort of guy and he comes up and, and has a chat with him and engages with him. But unbeknown to Billy and unbeknown to Nick, and in fact unbeknown to any of the other interns who were, who were in this uh, sort of competition for a place at Google, the headphones guy is actually the head of uh, recruitment and research at Google. He's the guy who makes the final decisions about who's hired and who's fired at Google. And so despite their lack of qualifications, their failings in that area, who, headphones guy, he actually sees in Billy and Nick the essential things, or he sees in them Googliness. He sees, although they're flawed, they're ordinary, unqualified characters, they actually do have this mix of characteristics which he believes are essential for being employed at Google. Which, uh, things which no one else thought were important, but which in the end lead to them being employed or offered jobs. In life, I've often felt flawed, ordinary and underqualified for many things, especially when it comes to do the things that God calls, has called me to do. Whether it's being a youth leader when I was younger, sharing my faith with others, studying, studying at theological college, uh, going to Malawi as cross-cultural workers, or even learning a language there, even being a pastor and a preacher. I've, I've never felt adequate and always underqualified for these tasks. And I'm sure that I'm not the only one who feels uh, this way. In fact, many of you also feel flawed, underqualified to serve God or to be involved in ministry in this church or anywhere. You feel underqualified to facilitate a connect group, to lead a Bible study, to stand up front and lead worship. You feel underqualified to be a youth leader 
or to sing up here and play uh, in the band uh, in front of people or even appear on the live stream. Imagine that. But um, also you feel underqualified when it comes to sharing with other people about your faith. You feel that you don't know enough or that you could get it wrong. Or what if someone asked me a question and I didn't know the answer to that? These feelings about ourselves often prevent us becoming involved. Or even worse, they lead us to think that only professional people, like the pastor or the youth leader, should actually do those things. And they're the only people who are capable. What I want you to hear today from the reading that we've just heard, and also from the sermon, from the message, is that not that you aren't flawed, and that you're not ordinary, and that you're not underqualified, but rather God uses flawed, ordinary, underqualified people to do his work. And what we, want, what we need to hear in, as we approach 2021 at light speed, as we go into the new year, he wants every one of us, I believe, here to step up and play their part so that the good news of Jesus can be encountered by other people through us. So the good news for us today is that God actually seems to make a habit of using flawed, ordinary people who are underqualified to do his work in ministry. This seems to be God's MO, his, memo, his, um, his uh, way, of way of operating. God is not headhunting self-made people. He's not looking for, I do it all my way types. God is after people who will listen to his voice, do what he says, and then share their experience of him with others. The passage of scripture that I read earlier is about the announcement of Jesus' birth. And it tells us that God hires flawed, ordinary people who lack qualifications to announce the good news of Jesus to people around, around us. <clears throat> this is not my usual modus operandi, and I suspect it isn't yours either. You see, if I was to announce the good news about the coming of the Saviour of the world, then I would not have had the Saviour born in a sheep pen a sheep stall in Bethlehem, to poor parents, nor would I have called on some shepherds to actually go out and verify this to the world and announce it to the world. I mean, today, if you have anything big to say globally, then uh, you want to say it on Twitter or on Facebook or Instagram. These social media platforms, they've got global reach. These social media platforms uh, actually connect with people wherever they are. So if you're trying to sell something, if you're trying to convince people of something, then it's important not just to use a, a proper social media platform, but it's also important to use a social influencer. And this is uh, someone who's famous, who knows maybe a lot about the product, who, who knows the product. You know. So, for example, uh, I mean, if I want to sell hiking boots, right, then or tents then Bear Grylls, he's the man that I'm going to sort of, uh, I want him to appear on Instagram, I want him to appear on the Instagram feed uh, in some sort of little clip saying something like, if it wasn't for the quality of the bootlaces on these boots, then I wouldn't be here today. I've survived two months in frozen wasteland. The only thing I had was the bootlaces from these high quality boots to catch fish 
And they're the reason I've survived. Bang! Can you imagine it? One million pair of boots sold overnight. That's social influence. But God doesn't seem to have received that memo, does he? I mean, he seems to use the wrong backdrop for the announcement of the Saviour's birth and the wrong social influences, or so it seems. For a start, Mary and Joseph already have a large uh, credibility gap. They, uh, they've, they've got a large credibility gap to cross with their audience. You see, the baby which Mary's carrying is not Joseph's. It's God's. And this is what both of them tell people. The angel told Mary and Joseph, which in terms of social influence would have, would have worked really well, except that he only told the two of them and not sort of wasn't plastered out there for everyone to hear. Now, if I was managing the announcement that the Saviour was coming to the world, I would have hired a choreographer who specialised in big events. I would have had a host of angels fill the sky with song, music, sort of an awesome light show, a bit like, uh, you know, light show over Sydney at New Year's Eve. But instead, it would be over Bethlehem. It would be at 6pm on a Saturday night when all the mums and dads and kids could see it. And then snap, snap, post it onto, uh, onto Instagram with a caption like, Saviour announced by army of angels, an awesome light show. Now that's, that's a sort of, that's a sort of uh, social influence and, uh, and um, announcement that I th- think it should have been made. But even in the ancient world, uh, at that time of Jesus' birth, they might not have had Twitter or Instagram or TikTok, but they knew that, and that announcements of big events needed to be managed well. In the Roman world, uh, when the birth of a firstborn son occurred, it was a big deal. And it was meant to be announced publicly. If the emperor had a newborn son, for example, um, this would be announced with pomp and ceremony and heralds would be sort of sent out throughout the whole Roman Empire uh, and they would spread the message as widely as possible. And so they would, they would go into people's villages and they would stand in public places and announce, you know, such and such has been born today. And these heralds were official and trusted uh, messengers. And then people would gather and listen and because uh, it was an important message for everyone. And if people weren't there, if they were out in the fields or away, then they would actually hear, hear the message again from someone else uh, when they got home. But in the story today, this is not the way God announces the arrival uh, of his son, the saviour of the world. God starts his announcement with angels, but they don't actually appear to the mass crowd. They've been sh- and angels have been showing up all throughout, the, uh, all throughout the Bible and all throughout the um, announcement of Jesus' birth. But they've been showing up and they've been telling individuals about what's to take, what is about to take place. An angel showed up and, and spoke to Mary by herself. And then an angel showed up and spoke to Joseph by himself, which was enough to convince them to follow through with a plan and to get married and to you know, go on and have the baby and be together. But this seems to be the role that angels have. They, uh, they show up and announce what's going to happen and often this is a sign to a particular person or to a very small group to, uh, to show authenticity of what they're saying. And then so in the case of Mary, the angel showed up and told her that she would have a baby, which was big news to her since she was a virgin. 
that the angel reassured her and told her something uh, that would verify that what he was saying was true. And he sort of he told her some inside information about her cousin Elizabeth that no one else knew. And that was that her cousin, although she was quite old, past childbearing age, she was about to have a baby herself. And in fact, she was six months pregnant and she would also have a son. And so after the angel tells her this, Mary goes and visits her out in the countryside. There were no telephones. She couldn't just pick up the phone and go, Hey, uh, hey Elizabeth, I heard something. She goes there and she stays and she hears the story. But, but the angels in the Bible, they're not social influences to the masses. And this seems that it's not God's MO. It's not the way that God operates. They seem to go to individuals and to small groups with important messages to reassure, that, to reassure those people and give those people confidence to do what they've been told to do or go where they've been told to go. So in the reading, we were told that before Mary had a baby, she and Joseph went to Bethlehem. And this was Joseph's hometown. And they went there because people at that time were meant to return to their hometowns where they were born or where their families were from uh, because there was this, this empire-wide census. You know, you had to be in your home on a particular day so that they could count you. And this was commanded to take place all over the Roman Empire. Can you imagine? That was amazing sort of organisation. And uh, Caesar Augustus, the, the emperor at that time, commanded this. And this was a bit of a pain in more ways than one for Mary and Joseph. Can you imagine, eight, eight months or so pregnant, that you go from Nazareth all the way up to Jerusalem on a donkey or on foot uh, at that time of year, which was you know, pretty cold. Uh, it wouldn't have been an easy thing. And it just seemed to be the wrong sort of timing to do that. So the location of the birth uh, seemed to be wrong as well. It wasn't just timing, the location seemed to be wrong. So you would think that, um, that being in his hometown, Joseph would have been able to find a decent place for him and his fiancée, who was about to have a baby, to stay. But no. The inability to find a decent place to, to, say, to stay actually says something about their lack of status and about their poverty. You see, if they'd had money or social standing in the community, they would have, they would have been invited into one of Joseph's relatives' homes to have this baby. But here Luke tells us that the only place they find to stay and have a baby is in part of a house where the animals are kept. If you're thinking of a barn, like, you know, in one of these Hollywood movies with big horses, fresh hay, you know, that you could lay down on, you've got the wrong scene, okay? Uh, this is not that scene. Where they stayed was a room either under a house or beside a house which people basically used to shelter their sheep or their goats at night or from fierce winter weather. So the point is that Mary and Joseph are about to have their first son and they've been told that this son's really special. This was a big deal for them as God has announced to them through angels that Mary's miraculous, about her miraculous conception that their son to be born is destined to save people from their sin. But despite this sort of grand prediction about who he is, and who he's going to be? He's going to be born in a room where animals are housed. And there's going to be no one there, 
No relative or friend to announce the birth to anyone in Bethlehem, let alone to the rest of the world. It's looking like a public relations disaster. But despite appearances, God's timing and location are perfect. And God has arranged for them to be in Bethlehem at that time, which was a town that was prophesied for them to for the Saviour to be born in, Bethlehem. God had arranged for them to be exactly where he wanted them to be. Imagine, God had even organised the most powerful person in the whole world at that time, Caesar Augustus, without his knowledge, to make them go to Bethlehem for a census so that a baby would be born in Bethlehem according to a prophecy. But it doesn't seem right though, does it? That, that God could arrange for them to go to Bethlehem, to be in Bethlehem, the town where the saviours prophesied to be born, but he couldn't actually organise better accommodation for them. Luke tells us that Mary gives birth to a son and she wraps him in cloth and she lays him in a manger. She lays him in a animal, animal sort of um, a feeding trough. It's not a cot. Why would the all-powerful God who spoke about the Saviour of the world being born in Bethlehem hundreds of years before through Micah, the prophet, and who arranged Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man in the entire world, to call a census that made Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem to have have a baby there so the prophecy would be fulfilled? But then why would he do all that but also not manage to organise better accommodation and a better bed for, Je- for baby Jesus to lie in. Have you ever wondered that? Instead, he put, he, he's put in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. And so from our perspective, it, it doesn't seem like a very good plan. And if we'd been writing this part of the story about the birth of the Saviour, then we wouldn't have the Saviour for a start coming as a baby. He would have come fully grown and he would have come on this big chariot if, he'd, if he had to be born to fulfil the prophecy, then we wouldn't have him born to an unwed peasant girl and we wouldn't have him born in a sheep stall or we wouldn't have him lying in an animal feeding trough, would we? We would have him born in a palace and we'd have him born at a better time in history so that his face could be plastered on the internet all around the world in an instant on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok or Snapchat. If being born though in a sheep stall wasn't bad enough for the birth of the Saviour, then the way his arrival is announced actually gets even worse, or so it seems. You see, Luke tells us that God uh, gave gave this task to some shepherds who were watching their sheep in fields just outside of Bethlehem. Again, it's angels who appear to them and tell them about the arrival of the Saviour of the world. They haven't gone to the masses But again, something's wrong with this scene, so it seems to us. Shepherds were not sophisticated people. They're not social influencers. They were were known to be rough, unlearned, unclean, smelly people. Shepherding, in case you hadn't realised, is not one of the jobs that you see on those forms at school that, that you can aspire to. Oh, good, you can get a degree in that. The people who herd shepherd, sheep and cows 
are not the movers and shakers in society. Yet here in this story, we have angels showing up and announcing to some rough old shepherds good news that a saviour had been born in Bethlehem who's actually the Messiah and the Lord of all. This is certainly big news. But why tell shepherds? And how would they know that the angel's message is actually true? Well, this is where my plan, uh, my plans for social influence fail. And this is where God's plan actually fulfills everything he wants to happen. You see, the angel announced the arrival of Jesus to them and then he tells the shepherds that they should go to Bethlehem where they'll find a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. There must have been many babies wrapped in cloth in Bethlehem at that time. How would they find the right one? How would they find the one they're looking for? They would find him because he would be the only baby laying asleep in a manger, in an animal feeding trough. This is why all these things have taken place. They're not acts of a disorganised God. They're quite the contrary. Obviously, uh, stunned by the appearance of the first angel and then the host of angels that come after him announcing the birth of the Saviour, the shepherds decide to go and check out for themselves if what the angel said was true. They went to verify what the angels had told them. And how would they know that any of, that any of the children they saw, because they were knocking on doors, hey, is there a baby here? Oh, let's have a look. Is there a baby here? No, not that one. No, not that one. That's got cloth. How would they know? How would they know any of the baby they saw was the saviour of the world? How would they know if it was the right one? They would know because they would find him lying in a feeding trough in a manger. Just as the angel said. See, this was a verifying part of the story. And this is what happened. They went to Bethlehem and they found Jesus just as the angel had told them. They found him wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Then they praised God and told everyone whom they met about what the angel had said. And they told everyone who Jesus is. They told other shepherds back in the fields at work. They told other shepherds, they told their families when they went and saw them. They told their friends at the local shepherd's bar and grill when they were there the next time. Everyone they met, they shared about their encounter with the angel and who the baby is. Luke says that the shepherds glorified and praised God for what they had seen in the field, for what they heard the angel say to them, and for finding Jesus just as the angel told them they would, lying in a manger in a sheep stall in Bethlehem. But they also declared other things that the angel said about him. They said this, is, this, this baby was to be the saviour of the world. This baby was the long-awaited Messiah and that he was the Lord. You see, this is why all these strange elements in the story occur. We think, why, why, what about all these strange elements? Why? This is why Caesar Augustus declared that a census, a census needed to take place. This is why Joseph and Mary were unmarried and poor and they went to Bethlehem at that time. It's why Jesus was born in a sheep stall and not a house or a palace. And in case you don't know, maybe you don't have one, but most houses don't have mangers in them where they feed animals. 
It's why shepherds were out in the field that night and it's why an angel appeared to them and not to the plumbers in town. Because God wanted the shepherds to be the ones who verified who Jesus is and to announce the arrival of the Saviour of the world and to declare him as Messiah and as Lord. The shepherds are God's perfect social influences. They're the ones who declared what God has done. And this is God's MO. God uses flawed, ordinary, unqualified people to do his work and to declare the truth that a saviour has been born. As shepherds, they would have done this very matter-of-factly. Yeah, these are salt-of-the-earth type people. I can't imagine there was much finesse in how they went about explaining things. I can't imagine that they would have, you know, uh, argued the pros and cons theologically for why a, you know, a saviour should be born in Bethlehem, or if it was true or not. These shepherds just told people what the angels told them. And they told them what they saw, and they told them what they heard from Mary and Joseph. They were convinced by what they had seen and heard, and they told others about this, who also became convinced. The shepherds left their fields and they become the most unlikely of messengers. Friends, today God also uses the most, likely, the most unlikely messengers. And today we are the shepherds that God is wanting to use for his purposes. The question is, are we willing to follow the example of those shepherds today. We have heard the good news that the Saviour has been born and that he saves people from their sin and that he's Lord. We've experienced this. We're now being called on to declare what we've heard and what we've seen. Just like the shepherds, we are to tell others exactly what we've experienced ourselves, nothing more. God is choosing us to announce to the world what he's done and what he's doing. At that time, God had many honourable and distinguished people he could have used, but he passed them by and he chose shepherds, people who others would normally overlook and who would even maybe even overlook themselves for a job like that. But these shepherds became the world's first witnesses about who Jesus is. They became the first in a long line of ordinary, unnamed people who shared the good news of Jesus with others. And so today... God is still on the move. He is building his church here in Melbourne, in Mooney Ponds, in Australia, around the world, and he does this mostly through people who you'll never hear about. People without significant Twitter followings, people without official titles, and who, who the world in many ways might see as unworthy. But people today in Mooney Ponds, in Essendon, in Ascot Vale, in Flemington, in Kensington, in Strathmore, in Pascoe Vale, uh, our friends, our neighbours, our work colleagues, they'll only have the opportunity to encounter the good news of Jesus if flawed, ordinary and unqualified people like you and I will do it. As we close 2020 and begin to think about 2020, I want to lay down a bit of a challenge for us. And I believe that this uh, passage of Scripture it brings us a challenge. In what way will you be a shepherd 
What way will you be like a shepherd in 2020-21? Is that what you say? 2021. What part will you play in sharing the good news with others in the coming year? If shepherds could do it, then none of us have an excuse to, get, to not get involved. Age is not a barrier. Culture and language are not barriers. In fact, culture and a different ability in another language is actually an asset where we live. Being flawed is not a deficit because guess what? You're going to other flawed people, not with a message about how good you are, but about how God, good God is and how kind he is. So your flawedness like googliness, is also an asset to the people you relate to. There are pre-youth, youth that need to be engaged with. There are young people who desperately need to hear about the love and grace of God. There are neighbours and colleagues who need to be invited to your home for a meal, for coffee, and who, can, uh, who you can get to know and to begin to pray for. If nothing else, you can pray for some people this year. There are sermons to be preached and there are sermons to be preached not just by the pastor of the church. There are connect groups to be started, to be led and to be facilitated. There are alpha courses to be run this year. And there are people needed to invite other people to those alpha courses. Friends, 2021 is not a year for sitting on the sidelines. But the year to get involved and to get up like the shepherds and encounter the Saviour Jesus afresh and to declare what you know of him and what you have experienced of him to the world. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for shepherds. Ordinary, flawed, smelly shepherds. Who would have thought that you would have used them. Because today, around the world, people follow the Lord Jesus. People know the Lord Jesus because of those shepherds. They announced what was happening. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be shepherds. Help us to go and declare what we know about the Lord Jesus. Help us not to be scared but to realise that you go with us, that you equip us to do what you, what you need us to do. I pray, Lord, that you would challenge each one of us to think about how we can not sit on the sidelines in 2021, but how we can be involved so that you can be glorified and so that others can experience your great kindness and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.